RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Back for more, are you? Or as I like to say, more and more. It's only been a week, although it feels like it was just five minutes ago. It's Mission Log Live. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Yes, here we are. Now here we are. We weren't, but we were, (laughs) but you guys didn't see it. So here we are on a Tuesday night. Discovery Season 2 has premiered. So let's talk about it, shall we? Tonight is what we do when Discovery is on the air, which is to say we give a quick recap, share some thoughts, then we open it up to you because we want to know what you thought. It's a new season, some new old faces and new adventures. You can click on the link to join our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. You can also pick up the phone and dial 646-558-8656. Then enter the meeting code you'll find in the show description and the comments. Then there we all are talking Trek. Hey, we want to thank longtime Mission Log listener Earl Green for once again handling the technical production on Mission Log Live. Uh, joining oh, wait, Ken, us, Ken, I got to interrupt you real quick. Uh, that, that snafu, I, I'm going to take ownership of that because uh, it's a new stream key, new episode that mm. needs to get to Earl. Thought it was the old one, but see now, all working so smoothly. See, here's the thing. You say it's working smoothly, but you just created an edit for me because people listening didn't know. <laughs> Joining us this week, Dr. Trek, I'm leaving that in, by the way. Joining us this week, it's Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Always good for an anecdote or two from the Trek world. He will share with us his thoughts on the start of the new season. What new season? Yeah, John just said a minute ago, it's Discovery Season 2. Tonight's episode is Brother. Once again, you can be part of the conversation at 646-558-8656. 646-558-8656. Then you enter the meeting code that you will find in the show description and the comments, or you can join our Zoom meeting or use the one tap from your smartphone to uh, to do the video thing. We've already got some video callers lined up, John. Kind of exciting. Yeah, uh, so much happening. And and for all the people who were in the chat first saying, uh, where is everybody? Is this happening? And Barry saying, I swear to you, they're getting ready. And uh, they didn't even get to see the part that Barry got to see, which was us uh, doing the whole intro and then doing it again. So yeah, it was a little bonus. It was a little bonus for Barry right there. Let's say hi to Carlos and Jeff and Peter, uh, Donna, Casey. Hey, Casey. Good to see you. Steve, our buddy Steve Sheridan, uh, Mary, uh, uh, Kim, Evan, so many of our friends here. There's just the numbers keep going up as people join into the chat. There's Chuck, there's Josh, there's Richard, uh, there's John. Uh, yes, everybody. Holly, so many of our pals, our Star Trek pals who have stopped by to hear us talk about uh, season two. But Ken, you asked me what else is coming up. Well, this this whole business, uh, we're into Discovery Season 2. So week by week, we'll be hitting new episodes as they drop. We got VR stuff coming up as well, including a brand new event center. Yes, an event center slash screening room tied to the Roddenberry Nexus in Sandstar. Of course, you don't have to wait for an event to go there. Sandstar.com has a ton of cool stuff, including the Nexus, art from the motion picture, costumes from the original series and the movies and TNG, ships and toys and all kinds of fun stuff. You can do that with a headset, an Oculus Rift or an HTC Vive. Or if you don't have a VR rig, you can still access it from your PC. 
as long as it's running Windows 7 or later. The place for more info and to sign up for your free account is sansar.com, S-A-N-S-A-R.com. Ken, let's talk about the poll question, shall we? Sure. Do you want to talk about last week's or this week's? You want to talk talk about about both? Yeah, let's talk about both. Uh, Let's start it out with last week. So last week we asked everybody, will you be rewatching season one of Discovery before watching season two? That's 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 a lot to do. That's not a tiny number of shows, uh, but you were split about half and half. Yes. Forty nine percent of you said you would be watching season one of Discovery again. Fifty one percent of you said no. I get it. it. It might be a bit of a commitment to try to squeeze it in. But uh, I, I didn't get around to it. I hadn't intended to. I thought it might be a valuable thing to do, but uh, I didn't get around to it. How about you? Well, I kind of figured I might, but then I ended up not. Because, I mean, we knew that season two was going to break from season one anyway. So if you haven't seen season one, um, it's okay. You can still, you know, hop on board. So I don't imagine that there was anything that had to be recaught. Mm. Uh, no, I didn't. I, I, there's, there's far too much other TV to watch, Sean. Yeah. It was a lot of TV to watch, uh, right. but we have a new poll question for this week. Yes, we do. The new question is, how do you like Pike? Because, of course, uh, John said at the top of the show, there are some new old faces. Sure, Christopher Pike has been around for 50 plus years now, especially if you were one of the lucky people who got to see The Cage, you know, long before it was available everywhere. Um, new guy playing him, though. Because that's you know kind of how this works. So the question is, how do you like Pike? Uh, the two choices are thumbs up, thumbs down. Really couldn't be much simpler. 96% of people who have uh, participated so far say thumbs up. 4% say thumbs down. Don't forget, you can vote on that poll all through this show. And in fact, all the way up to next week's show, you do that at facebook.com slash mission log pod. Yeah, right now, 96, sorry, 96% of people are saying thumbs up, 4% thumbs down. Uh, curious as to why that might be. So I think after the recap, after we talk to our guest a little bit, maybe we hear from some of those 4% who just maybe were not sold on Anson Mount. I, I believe this is our fourth Pike actor. We had Jeffrey Hunter. You had Sean Kenny. I uh, have Bruce Greenwood, who I liked a lot. Um, and now we have Anson Mount, and I'm definitely in the thumbs up crowd on that one. But honestly, look, I was even before we saw him as Pike. So uh, I'm, I'm a little biased. That's true. The most excited, I think probably the most excited I've ever seen John was when he got to meet Anson Mount at the last uh, Star Trek convention. I, I, I fanboyed a little bit. I, he- I was- a little nervous. Yeah. A little bit is a little bit of an understatement, I think. <laughs> but, I mean, it was really neat. It was really neat to see. And uh, though I was way far away, uh, he seemed like a, it seemed like a pleasant conversation. He seemed like a decent, uh, decent sort when you approached him out of nowhere. I'm not going to say you ambushed the man. No, no, it was not nearly an ambush. Uh, Ken, we've got callers standing by. We've got Larry standing by. If you would do us the honor and catching everybody up here on the story that is brother with a recap, please. You got it. Prologue. An African tribe tells the story of a girl who billions of years ago threw dust into the sky, creating the Milky Way. There, among the stars, is a message, though it can only be glimpsed by those who are pure of heart or something. Flash forward billions of years, and we see a young Michael Burnham meeting Sarek's wife, Amanda, and their son, Spock. Spock is expected to show Michael the ropes, though the young boy seems none too happy, sending a holographic snake against Sarek's new ward before shutting the door on her. Flash forward a couple of decades to today where the USS Enterprise is dead ahead of the discovery. Captain Christopher Pike has requested permission to come aboard. 
Act One. Pike's actually been sent to take command of Discovery under triple contingencies. There's an imminent threat. The lives of Federation citizens are in danger, and there is no officer of Pike's rank available to take command. There are, or were, seven red lights in the sky. They all appeared at the exact same time, then they all disappeared at the exact same time. All but one. Now they're on their way to that. Act two. Hey, look, it's Stamets. Don't get attached. He tells Tilly that he's leaving Discovery for a teaching job on Vulcan. You know, as soon as they can get to Vulcan. Hey, look, it's Sarek. He's also leaving. Sooner than Stamets, apparently. He's leaving to set up a task force to examine this red lights thing. He and Michael are wondering where Spock is. He wasn't one of the two officers that came aboard Discovery with Pike. Back on the bridge, Discovery drops out of warp into a field of debris and no red thing. Pike was expecting a red thing. There's nothing there that could have caused the signal that they were chasing. There is a big rock, though, with some really weird gravity action. Checking it out has pushed the asteroid toward a pulsar. It'll hit in about five hours. No one would care, except there's a Starfleet medical frigate on the asteroid, the Hiawatha. There may be people down there. There may not, but Pike won't leave without knowing. Time for some daring do. They'll take teeny tiny pods through the asteroid field, land near the Hiawatha, set up pattern enhancers, and beam themselves and any survivors back to Discovery. And the party makes it! Except for one guy, but he was a jerk. Act 3. It's still a tough walk to the Hiawatha, and a tough walk through it. It's, um, booby-trapped. By Jet Reno, Hiawatha's engineer. She walks them through the traps and tells her survival story. Brought down 10 months ago in the Klingon War, she's kept a number of Hiawatha's crew alive. She didn't know the war was over, hence the booby traps. As they prep the patients for transport to Discovery, Pike asks Reno about the signal. She's got no clue what he's talking about. Pattern enhancers are in place, but they're just backup. Hiawatha's transporters are still operational. Everyone gets out except for Burnham. She's alone on the soon-to-be-vaporized asteroid. Running for safety and maybe a way off this rock, Burnham's knocked unconscious by flying debris. Act 4. Regaining consciousness, Burnham ow, has ow, a piece of molten metal sticking through her leg. Ow. She does have a distraction, though. A blurry... What is that? An angel? A demon? Some kind of life form? It's approaching her, though it disappears as Captain Pike comes rushing in to rescue Burnham. Act 5. So there was this other weird thing. Tilly asked Burnham before she left Discovery to pick up a sample from the meteorite. Readings on the mycelial network have been off the charts since they encountered it. As she and Pike were beaming out, Burnham grabbed the sample, but the transporter kind of rejected it. Well, left it behind. It's pretty much impossible and may mean a whole new branch of science. So they'll just have to catch a small part of the asteroid before it ends up in the pulsar. And they do. Pike will be staying around for a while. The damage to Enterprise was severe and Starfleet wants to know what caused the red lights. Burnham asks for permission to go visit Spock on the Enterprise and finds out from Pike that he's not there. He took leave months ago for parts and reasons unknown. So, can she go poke around his stuff? Yeah, apparently that's cool. There she finds signs of the question that drew Spock from the Enterprise. It appears to be a star chart. 
a rendering of the seven signals the Enterprise was chasing made months before the signals appeared. The end. Uh, well done, Ken. Hey, very quickly, uh, just to confirm something for the people in the Facebook chat. Uh, it looks like Holly, uh, uh, Kelly, Aaron, Bill, Chris all wanted to make sure they just wanted to confirm with you. Uh, it was a booby trap. It was a booby trap. Yeah, it was. Okay. They were, yes, it was. Uh, yeah. Okay. You just know, check. come to think of it, it was yeah. a bit like booby trap, wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. they were pushing the asteroid away when they were trying to get closer to the asteroid. And that's just wow. That's that's way deep level. Only mission log nerd kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Um, I, I think we both have some thoughts on the uh, the new season and this episode in particular. Should we kind of work those into our discussion with our guest? Because I believe he is standing by. That would be uh, Larry Nemechek himself. Dr. Trek. Larry, are you there, sir? I read you loud and clear, guys. Excellent. Well, welcome back to the show, Larry. You're, uh, you're, you're not just Dr. Trek, but of course you have your Tuesdays live. And I know that Tuesdays live in the afternoons, you've been doing uh, a lot of coverage and discussion of discovery and, and kind of the mm-hmm. business of Star Trek around discovery, but just your, your gut reaction. You got to watch the episode uh, the, the other night when it premiered. What did you think? What did you take away from it? Well, right. My first, my overall reaction was that, I was not surprised because it seemed to my gut feeling about what we were going to see and the tone and the quality all came true (laughs) because I was just banking on the fact that for everyone that wanted to write seven seasons or whatever of discovery based on season one, as I've said many times, it had a very labored delivery, right? It wasn't the most, (laughs) it wasn't by the book prenatal care for birthing a new series. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this second season was going to be a chance for everybody connected to take a breath and make sure that their best foot forward, just, just having a plan. And even though there's been turnover in the writer's room, uh, the behind the scenes crew has been very stable. Uh, This most of the same writers have been there all along. And yes, I was, um, I was thrilled as many and as many teases as we've had, like the Linus scene and the landing pods. Um, there were a lot of surprises and a lot of wonderful little nods. A lot of I, I still like to call them in jokes, but I guess we have to call them Easter eggs in this day and age. But there were so many wonderful little bits. And there were a lot of little if you were there, if you were up for it, a lot of little meaningless little shout outs to canon which I don't want anybody to call them fan service because to me, fan service is called using the universe unless it's just completely gratuitous. And, and what we saw, a lot of what we saw in this episode was just wonderful. And it seems like they are very much aware of needing to, at least the perception of men defenses and strengthen, strengthen the ties to all of the established Star Trek universe that's been out there so far. So you know, throw and I could be specific, but throwaways, even things like throwaways to um, to Tellarites and Bolians and Havcations, whatever that would look like, and um, and even un- unstated ones like Linus is a Saurian and um, Anon, the red shirt who did not die, which I right. love that too. Right. Yeah, uh, was a Barzan, you know, from uh, the Barzan wormhole episode uh, from. Um, from next generation, even complete with her, with her headgear. Uh-huh. So I, there's big pastiches here we can talk about. And, and I know everybody wants to talk about, but, um, and I have a long list here. So I, but basically it was, it, I really thought of after the motion picture as beloved as the motion picture was. And it, it, it until the JJ movies, it had the hugest, it had the biggest box office 
partly fuel as much as as much as people have problems with motion picture, 10 years of anticipation damned up, right? That burst. Mm. And for all of that, and the debate still goes on today over it, when the Wrath of Khan came out, the phrase I remember intrinsically hearing everyone saying was, now that's more like it. And I feel like a lot of fandom, even though they had lots to enjoy about the first season, and even some who didn't, with this press release lately about the record number of signups that CBS Alexis has had, I think there's a lot of fandom out there saying, now that's more like it about hmm. this episode top to bottom. Interesting. All right. Uh, and by the way, to your comments about fan service, because that could turn into a whole hour long show on its own, because right. uh, I, I do not hesitate <laughs> to use the term fan service when I feel like it's fan service. But there were many well, gratuitous gratuitous. Yeah. Yes. And, and there were many great nods, though. And, and like one that I'll point out here that's in the chat. Uh, David says just the grating in Spock's quarters. Mm-hmm. You know, little things like that, little architectural elements like that. Uh, uh, so many good little bits that I love. Uh, by the way, just some other immediate reactions. Uh, our producer tonight, Earl, uh, I'm going to steal a line from him because he said, really, forget <laughs> Section 31 as a spinoff. I'm waiting for the spinoff series about Tignataro's character, Jet Reno. <laughs> just, he's already ready for that. And, and I will second that to say that she is just wonderful. That is an awesome mm-hmm. character. One of those rare Star Trek characters that comes along that you just feel like, okay, they've been there for a hundred years. Like they just belong in this world. No question about it. And there's something about, you know, I always appreciate when Star Trek can do humor without being jokey. And Discovery has definitely had moments like that where, where they found the humor in the character without just feeding you jokes. And uh, pretty much everything that we heard out of Jet Reno, I think that that was a funny line, would fit that. Delivery, perfect. Uh, so that was a, a big highlight for me. Uh, Ken, how about you? Well, I'm curious because you guys, well, uh, you especially just now, John, mentioned how you know it had sort of the humor, had sort of a lighter feel. Did, what do you think that was based on? Because I mean, it definitely was there. It was definitely a lighter show. I thought, or had a had a had a. I don't even know what the proper term to use is. Not jaunty. I mean, it it was. Well, it was humorous. It was I mean, organic. It was not, what? Well, I don't think organic means humorous, but okay, we can do that if you want well, to. But I mean, well, the, the humor was organic. You mean the humor was organic? Okay, yeah. but I mean, it was definitely a much. It had a much lighter feel than any episode, mm-hmm. I believe, of the first season. Is that a reaction to how dark the first season was? Is that a reaction to the Orville? Is that a reaction to what is that a reaction to? Because I think you could probably on one hand count the laughs in the first season. And they might have all been in episode three. You know, like the thing where Lorca says, you know, um, um, so and uh, Saru says that Burnham is the best officer that he's ever met. And Lorca turns to Stamets and says, and, and he knows you. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's funny. And yeah. I can't think of many other jokes from that first season. There were there were laughs. I mean, there were moments that I laughed out loud in this episode, which, first of all, was great to see. And then also it made me wonder, I wonder, what are we reacting to at that point? Hmm. Well, I would throw out the magic, uh, magic to make the sanest men, the Harry Mud, you know, the disco bit. Some of there were some little moments through there that were. Mm-hmm. Organically mm-hmm. in the moment. Funny. And some of his sarcasm, the Harry Mud sarcasm that was honed even more in short in, in short tracks yeah you don't think um 
Well, uh, uh, I okay. didn't want to argue no, about I that. Totally sure. I, I mean, I mean, well, I, season one, I think, is a combination of a, a it being the war season, air quoted, and also just, again, the ability of that poor season. I just always think of the Acme Rocket Shoes and Wiley Coyote. And even when they're on and working, he's not in control of them. And I just think there was so much effort to land season one. And now there's a there's a breath taken. And yeah, there's some analysis and they're and they're tweaking the show as as you would expect. And that's one of the things. But I just think it was, I think, just getting toward what we think of as, as Star Trek, as thinking, um, you know, Spock and McCoy, as thinking uh, uh, Data, as thinking Cork and Odo humor, as thinking, you know, whatever, all those kinds of threads. Um, it was inevitable that something would snap back. And, 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 you know, there were other moments, too, in this first episode where they, they got into that organic. And, and Pike, Anson Mount Spike provided some of that. Right. I, so, yeah, I guess I guess the question I'm asking is, do you think it was intentional to go with something lighter or are you just saying everybody got more comfortable with their with their with their role? I think it was an intention. OK. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think it's all the above, but I think led by it being an intention as a choice. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of think this is the nice thing about a show now that gets to take a big <laughs> chunk of time off. So you, you write a season you release the season, then you get to make the next season as opposed to that breakneck, you know, 90s cycle of 26 episodes, sometimes more than 26 episodes, a little bit of uh, late spring, early summer off, and then you're back to it. And you have writers writing after they've been off for a month or two, trying to cram for the end of the season. What I love is that you, you get to sit back, take stock, and I imagine that everybody who went into that first season who was really dedicated to this war story felt like, oh, great, this is something fresh that we get to do, tell a story in a way that Star Trek has not told a story before. But then you sit back and take stock and, and think, well, okay, maybe what we could do is lighten this up a bit. And by the way, who are the characters that we can afford to do that with? Because now we've gotten rid of Lorca. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've gotten rid of uh, Mirror Giorgio uh, for now in discovery, you know, the rumors about where she's coming back. Um, but yeah, we, we get to reinvent a little and, and, and I think so far all good choices, but yeah, I, I wonder, I, I kind of hesitate to say it's a reaction to fan reaction or reaction to critical reception or reaction to a specific thing. Uh, a, because it could be a little bit of all of the above, but B, I, I also hope that the writers are sticking to what they think is the right vision for the show, not just what somebody over there said about their show. Well, can I add to your list there? Also, writers that want to do it all along again. And they, the rocket mm. shoes were so fast, they never got to stop and plant and make some good, you know, organic, uh, you know, other than just throwing it on top of, you know, dusting something that was already flying by or that they got pulled into halfway through. And I know mm. there were 15 individual episodes. But a lot of the mood and a lot of that arc that was driven was being written, rewritten, fixed, <laughs> tweaked by, and uh, you know, the people whose names wound up on scripts at the end of the season may never have met the people who were aboard the first season. And in the middle, some of them were had their names on the same shows that never met each other, or maybe waved at each other coming in and out the door, or overlapped mm-hmm. a month. So I'm thinking, I mean, a lot to your list, it's it's writers wanting to do those things all along. But the train was moving so fast, they couldn't stop to, to, to do it in a good way. And now they can with that, with that more than three months break. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, I know that we have uh, Barry standing by with uh, with a comment and or a question. Not entirely sure. So I'm going to ask if we can uh, drop Barry in here to the show. And uh, while we're waiting on that, I, I also, you know, it's just a couple of things that I wanted to point out, uh, some observations from watching this episode. Uh, many things that I liked, but I, I will say I have an idea that I just want to float past everybody. Um, so this is not the first time in Star Trek that people have had to go to a dangerous place and bring transporter pattern enhancers in order to make sure that they can get back. Uh, great idea, but I, I have an idea myself. I'm going to throw this out there. The things that are the transporter pattern enhancers, just build those into the transporter. Um, and, and while you're at it, put them all over the ship. Uh, because I, I want to make sure that my pattern is as enhanced as it can be from the start. Remind me, though, did they in, in, even end up using the pattern enhancers? Because once they found out that the, uh, the transporters were working on the Hiawatha, they, then they just said the enhancers were like a backup, didn't they? Yeah, but they, they still hooked them up. They, they, yeah, okay. They still needed and then they used them for the yeah. Burnham rescue at the very end when things were really... Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that was the earliest. I mean, pattern enhancers was a creation, a prop they invented on Next Generation. So this is the earliest. That's one of those timeline canon things. This yeah. is a hundred years and whatever it was, you know, if it's a, if it's a crystal set radio versus a digital <laughs> streaming radio kind of thing. But uh, this is definitely the first time in time in time history. Yeah. Like Enterprise just, barely look, beam, much less enhance their beaming. I, I'm just saying pattern enhancers everywhere. Bring them. Uh, Barry <laughs> is standing by. Barry, how are you tonight? Hey, how you doing, guys? It's good Excellent. to see you Hey, hey. <laughs> hey, Beth, how are you? I'm good. How are you? So, so John, first off, I want to say real fast, I, I understand why you want to have the pattern enhancers. We have seen you in your sexy Halloween costumes. you got a great pattern, man. You so, don't see, thank you. That, it needs to be enhanced whenever possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's very kind of you. So I was listening to you and Larry talking about some of the, the, uh, uh, the Easter eggs or things like that in this episode. And the one that I get a little verklempt. I've seen, we watched the episode twice now is when, uh, is when Pike pulls up the Lorca fortune cookie. Oh, and yeah. I, and at first time I saw it, I thought, Oh, this is an implication that Lorca isn't gone. Mm. But then I realized, Oh my God, it's a reference to the cage. Cause he said, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, Can you read yeah. it for us. Barry? <laughs> Not every cage is a prison, nor every loss eternal. You know, this is two years, I think, it's about two years after they met the Telosians, less than a decade before Delta radiation, it breaks my heart. Yeah, although mm -hmm. if you ask Pike about that cage, Pike would say that that cage was a prison. You know, um, although, although when, when he, he'll eventually back. go back to it, though, he right? Will eventually go back. Right. right. Yeah. And his, yeah. his loss is mobility. No loss is 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 eternal. Oh, you know, oh so. yeah, yeah. Anyway, you know, so he's just going to he's going to lose those beautiful nail beds. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other thing I want to say before we push on uh, other guys is this episode as a scientist was just filled with fabulous, quotable things that I know that scientists are going to be using already. You know, don't question my calculations, Connolly. <laughs> and, oh, that Connolly! And my yeah, we saw what happened to him. Come on, yeah. <laughs> well, you got a whole meme. How about don't pull yeah. a Connolly on me? Yeah, <laughs> don't call Connolly that. You know, or what? 
Yeah. And, and my, my favorite is definitely evolution is a fickle bitch. So yeah. <laughs> I, on the other hand, just love the moment when, when Stamet said to Tilly, you are incandescent. That made oh. me cry. Oh yeah. They, they had a lovely scene together. Oh my God. Yeah. Just that, that triangle of almost love between, you know, those three between Stamets and, um, um, and Tilly right. and, and his Culver. husband. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. just so incredibly powerful. You yeah. know, that scene just about killed me. Yeah. Can I add to your list for mundanes also the interface of uh, now this is I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Now, this is this power of science, people. This is the power of math. Yes. Okay. There you go. Soft sciences. We okay. could be the mothers of a whole new branch of science. That, that just about killed me. Well, that is great. And not well, to forget. Not last night's episode, our wallets are going to be hemorrhaging money in a John Cooley's shop over exactly. at the <laughs> <laughs> Just one more for that list. Just, you know, just to add for all the mundanes out there, you got to love where's my damn red thing? Cause I see all yeah, kinds of applications to that. Yeah. 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 This is a great episode. This is a wonderful yeah. episode. All right. Well, we're going to sign off. It's just great having you guys back. Yeah. Hey, great to be back and, yeah. and great to see you guys again. So uh, let's, uh, let's make this a regular thing. Okay. All right. Sure enough. <laughs> all right. Take care. All of you, you guys. Bye. There, there's one barometer. How many episodes last season had people quoting five, six, seven things off the top of their head after it was over? Wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, yes. Hey, uh, really quickly, I want to remind people how they can get in touch with us. Uh, 646-558-8656 is the phone number to call 646-558-8656. Or you can click on the uh, the Zoom link uh, on Facebook or use the one top from your smartphone and do the video thing as Barry and Beth uh, just did as well. Yeah. And in fact, we have another caller waiting patiently. Uh, it looks like Keith is uh, going to join us here. And uh, so while we're bringing in Keith, yeah, I'll I'll throw out uh, another observation here. So like I said, I I had this proposal to Starfleet about building in pattern enhancers. Um, Something I want to mention about the new Enterprise, the the new old Enterprise. Um, At the end of season one, where we just see the exterior shot of the ship, and I, I thought, okay, well, this is a cool design. It is a reinvention of that classic design that we saw. And, of course, we have to use the leap of imagination that this is all taking place 10 years before Kirk's five-year mission. And, and there are a lot of fans who are very split. Some who hated that this was a new take on that design. Uh, some who thought, okay, cool, uh, I get it. This is a show being made 50 years later, so it's going to look different. I was a little on the fence. I thought it was neat, but I didn't necessarily buy it in the context of the show. Watching this episode a couple of times, the thing that sold it for me was the actors and that ship in the context of the action and the story. So hearing Stamets, I believe it was, uh, no, uh, yeah, it was Stamets saying, I've seen the specs on that ship. It would take something extraordinary uh, to knock it offline. Just hearing them talk about it made it more real for me. And because it was more real for me, I stopped caring about the design changes. And uh, that, that shows the power of good writing and good acting to make me believe what's going on. So for all the little changes that happen, cool. Their changes, they're fine. But I, I, I fell a little more in love with this new enterprise, <laughs> I have to say. 
All right. So we do have Keith here waiting. Uh, Keith, welcome to the show. Hey, John. Hey, Ken. Good to see you guys again. Uh, Pleasure. Yeah. Welcome. What's on your mind tonight? Uh, not too much. I just decided to actually watch one of these live for once. I've been listening to the podcast forever. And I, we talked a few weeks back when you guys came on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to say, I really loved watching the show this past week. And I did the thing of before I watched it, I put on the cage. So I went from the only other real Christopher Pike episode to the <laughs> new Christopher Pike episode. So it was nice seeing the little things that they picked up. And right from right off the bat, as soon as Pike comes off of the transporter, he says, oh, I learned in Mojave. Right, right there from, from the cage that he's from Mojave. Right, right. Making sure to pick up on an original. Yeah. I was well, disappointed. I was hoping to see Rebecca Roman. Oh, uh, yeah. As well, number one. We're going to have to I, wait for her. I, I wonder, and I'll, I'll throw this out to everybody here. I wonder if one of the things about Pike is we actually have so little of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we literally we just have the cage. And at the beginning of the cage, he's a guy who's burnt out. Then we have the archival footage from the cage, uh, given new context in the menagerie. Then we have Bruce Greenwood's take on Pike. But we have so little of Pike. Is it a little easier here for the writers to just pull those little character traits, uh, a mention of Mojave, something like that, um, than it is to say continue writing a story for Spock or for Kirk or for, for people who we've known for 50 years. Um, it, does it sort of change our expectation of what we're getting out of that character? Well, I can, I, well, oh, forgive I, me. Go ahead. I can, I can tell you for me personally, um, I read the first discovery novel that came out, and it was a fun novel. It was an interesting novel. And I was not happy at all with the way Pike's character was treated in that novel. And I'm, I'm sorry to, uh, to, I mean, I'm not saying it was a bad, it wasn't bad. It's fine. It was a different take. I was honestly really worried that the Pike that we got was going to be the same as the Pike from that novel, because the Pike from that novel would have fit very nicely in the, with the darkness of season one of discovery. And so when he came on and really brought sort of a lightness, sort of a, not an airiness to it, but he brought, he brought what you would hope that would be the continuation of the Jeffrey Hunter uh, sort of a version of Pike. I think um, it would have been, it would have been easy to mess this up, I think. And they did a fantastic job of not, uh, he was, uh, he's a, even if you had no preconceived notion of Pike, this feels like a captain that you would follow in a way, at least does to me. Well, they instantly did. I would say just in defense of Dave Allen Mack that did that novel, um, he was writing it in the in the early, early, early stages of the show. And, yeah, it was very much mired in the dark, the dark side of discovery early on. But, no, it's it's infinitely um, easy to write for Pike, not knowing any more about it. And people we tick off all the actors that have played him. Well, Greenwood was it was mirror was was Kelvin verse which mm-hmm. doesn't count. And Sean Kinney was mute in the chair. And we only know, we barely get one and two dots at a time about what's happening with Pike all through Menagerie, aside from the, the flashback. So yeah, it was prime time. And Anson Mount just comes in and kill, kills it. He nails it. And he had done his homework. One, of the, one thing I wanted to mention too, another Easter egg, right as soon as he's off the ship uh, on, the, on Discovery, someone, I don't know where, but somewhere in dialogue, someone makes, makes mention of 
about the 203 people on Enterprise, which when that flew by, I was like, oh, that's awesome because that was the yeah. original crew. Yeah. The crew it wasn't 430 on the pie on the cage. It was just 203. So um, Kirsten and all the folks who are watching the Canon Easter eggs are still doing a great job. But but yeah, you want to follow Anson Mount and they made an effort to make him what really for, aside from the first novel, just remembering that. Jeffrey Hunter's K, uh, Pike that we saw was at a real low ebb. And mm-hmm. he's really, you, know, you bear, I mean, the whole episode goes along. He's depressed. Then he's under duress to escape. And then you finally see him with a little bit of relief. Like one scene at the end might be something approaching real Pike. And Anson Mount took that one scene and was off and running. And, you know, let's, let's have some fun. Let's ruffle a few feathers. I mean, that is not how we think of Pike, but that's what his total. And this is two, three years after the cage. So, yeah. Yeah. Plus, they've intimated that that the Enterprise missed the Klingon War. And uh, I, I haven't seen read the book that I suppose he goes along that what the Enterprise was doing during this past years. But they pretty much said that the Enterprise was not part of this. So he's got this whole feeling of everyone has gone through hell and I didn't. And feels like he's got to atone for that in a way. Well, I think I saw a press release the other day. or heard a story the other day that the the story of what the Enterprise was doing during the Klingon War is actually coming out this summer. Like the one, like the one that I was just talking about, I think took place. Somebody just said in the chat room on Facebook, like seven years or so before the Klingon War. That was that was back with a much younger Burnham when she first got onto Discovery, or close to when she first got on Discovery. Um, apparently there's going to be a Pike novel this summer that's going to talk about all where the Enterprise was while we were on Discovery. Right. It's a redo of where was the Enterprise D during the Dominion War. Or where the Enterprise E, I mean, during the Dominion. That's the same kind of vibe. But it's amazing to think everyone has this idea of how much we know about Pike, but we really don't because we had so little of him. But... It's it's just like the revisionist history I've seen of Trek fans of, oh, the Klingons have always been honorable, except in the original series. They weren't honorable at all. And, you know, commie spies. And, yeah. It, was, yeah, and it was the United Federation of Planets from the beginning. No, it was the United Earth. And it, was the yeah. Star- it wasn't always Starfleet. It wasn't always. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's something about Pike that is enough of a blank slate. And and certainly uh, Anson Mount is starting uh, with the the benefit of looking enough like Jeffrey Hutter. You can put him in the uniform and go, yeah, OK, I, I buy this as the same guy. But again, we were talking about years that have passed since the incident in the cage. We're talking about, uh, as you mentioned, Larry, the the ebb and flow of the character. Who was he before that? Who was he during that? Who was he after that? Anson Mount's got kind of a wide berth here to try to kind of mold that character the way that he wants. And uh, again, Ken, kind of going back to one of your original questions and in our discussion about the uh, the the reaction that this episode or the season might be to the last season. We need the guy who's believable in command that we want to follow, who is definitely not Lorca. There's a lot that I liked about Lorca because he was kind of a badass. Um, and and Jason Isaacs is just so kind of captivating on screen, but he's not an honorable person at all. 
not Jason Isaacs. I mean, Lorca. I think we all know the separate. <laughs> I'm sure Lorca. Jason Isaacs is a great guy. Uh, we haven't but, met Prime Lorca yet. Maybe there's hope for him if he's maybe still out. Maybe so. There. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but certainly with Pike, uh, you know what what we were all waiting for was that sort of sigh of relief, like, oh yeah, here's a guy that really embodies the values that we say the Federation has, and by extension, uh, Starfleet has. And um, he, he's cool while doing it. Now that's more like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and real quickly, you, having said that, you might think, and, and I'm interested to see what, I can't wait to see what Rebecca Romaine does with number one, because that's, talk about a blank slate. That's mm-hmm. a completely blank slate. It background on the whole thing. And yeah. then you would think, well, boy, poor Ethan Peck's got this horrible burden of playing Spock. But then again, You've got this, you know, you've got, we know that Cage Spock is almost comical, loud Spock, you yeah. know, shouty Spock, people call yeah. him. And then you see Spock still with a little loose around the edges in Where No Man and even the f- opening episodes of the first season in production order. So it's a great black hole here. And obviously things were going on with Spock and they've, and for all the fans, and I love that they did a masterful job of promoting the show and putting Alex Kurtzman out with interviews and that live half hour interview, which I, I would urge people to watch if you haven't seen it. It's, it's available all over the place um, at, at, CE, at CES, yes. Mm-hmm. But um, he said head on, half of fandom is screaming, how could, you know, it's a cyborg redo. How, how come we never heard of Michael as a foster sister or foster daughter in Surik's house? We've never heard of this before. And, and, and they took it and ran with it and said, Alex says, yes, exactly. Why have we not heard of this before? <laughs> and that's going to be one of the levels of what this arc is about, the personal arc between the two of them. So you would say, my God, Ethan Peck's got such a, a he's got the worst, he's got the biggest burden of all living yeah. up to that. But he's, it's doing it in this big black hole of knowledge about Spock. And obviously something huge happened between the cage and where no man. So, you know, even he's got a lot of room to play and maneuver there. Well, well, there's two things there. Hearing his voice at the end of the episode mm-hmm. helped make that more real for me in my head because uh, it was a nice voiceover that sounded uh, uh, thematically, but also literally sounded like Spock. So that that helps. But I also think about the the Colinar uh, uh, storyline of Spock after the five year mission and going back to Vulcan when we catch up with him in uh, the motion picture, that this is the kind of psychological stuff kicking around in his head that he's got to deal with that he's been dealing with for a very long time. So the fact that he's got this troubled childhood, uh, the fact that he had this time on the enterprise and then he's got to get away for a while. Well, he does it again in a few years, just sit tight (laughs) until after Kirk's five-year mission. Uh, So all of this stuff adds up for me very nicely to, to, fill out the pattern that is Spock's character. So I really look forward to seeing uh, more of him. Yeah. Hey, Keith, is there anything else on your mind tonight, sir? Well, it's one other thing I was thinking about is the, the power of the way they use the title of the episode. That brother took on so much more meaning, especially that it was the final word of the episode. And it was kind of like, oh, brother, what have we got ourselves into? More than just the connection of the of you know, Spock being her brother. It, it just, it worked on several levels for me. Nice. Mm. Well said, sir. Well, thank you very much, Keith. We'll see you next time. Okay. Absolutely. Thanks. All right. Cheers. Hey, I uh, want to let people know really quickly when we are done here, there is another place that we would like for you to go. 
uh, well, actually stay right where you are if you're on Facebook. And if you're not on Facebook, uh, go to Facebook, <laughs> go to um, 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 Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. About a half an hour after we're done here, each Tuesday at 1130 Eastern, 830 Pacific, Elijah, Kenna, and Anthony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse. Uh, this is TV and movie news, gaming news, literary reviews, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. As I say, they go at about half past the hour. So grab a snack, grab a drink, and then settle back in. Go to uh, Facebook.com slash Priority One Podcast and check Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, as they record it live. And if you can't catch it live, uh, just go wherever you get podcasts and subscribe to Priority One. Uh, that show drops every Friday. So if you don't get to catch it tonight, do catch it Friday. And uh, yeah, it'd be a lot of fun for everybody. I got a question for you guys. Um, I feel like we're in like kind of a neat place this year. John, I know after you and I watched um, uh, the, the two-part opener, basically, for season one, or maybe it was after, I guess it was actually episode three, when we were like, okay, well, that's Mirror Universe Lorca. And we didn't know. We hadn't heard that from anybody, I don't think. Although, uh, what's his name? Uh, Frakes had sort of ruined it by saying, well, you know, they're doing Mirror Universe. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we kind of had an unfair head start there. I don't know as much about what's going on here. I've heard mentions like somebody sent me an article the other day saying, well, what do you think about the fact that they're exploring spirituality? And so I haven't read the article because I don't want to think about it. I want to know what's, I mean, I kind of want to be surprised there as much yeah. as I can going into it. What do you guys hope to see? I don't mean plot points necessarily. Although if you have plot points that you really hope to see, that's fine too. But what kinds of things are you guys looking for uh, from this season? Larry? Uh, and just to say what you were spe speaking there about, I think that was one of the early back when Aaron and Gretchen were still show running last spring, maybe WonderCon. They were they made some mention of one of the early themes for season two would be spirituality and and rationality. But one of the well, things actually, somebody sent me an article the other day, but sure, right. I don't. I like right. to say, it but it was a mention, and it and it was as much as happened since then. Um, I think the threads. They, there's several things that we're waiting for. Will Will Culber actually come back as a physical form? Or is he going? I mean, I was kidding a couple of weeks ago and said, yeah, he's going to be back in the show. He'll be we'll just see Stamets going to his room and showing home movies, old home videos all the time. And then and then when he did the high tech version of a home video, I'm like, oh, OK, I'm still hoping for physical form. Um, just letting letting everybody develop. It was a shout out to the roll call and seeing the actual bridge crew, which was something else they had promised, hoping to develop that as they can go along. Um the, the Culber Stamets and, and watching Saru develop. Eventually we're going to get Laurel and Ash Tyler back and whatever happens with overall enjoying what they do with Pike and Spock, but waiting to see overall when the, when the show is done. Yes. Answer the great uh, Michael Spock question here. Uh, but, but have it still remain the fact that it's discovery show. And if you want to have a Pike spinoff, which wouldn't be a bad idea, the way Anson Mount's taken this by storm, then go have a Pike spinoff, but keep it about the discovery folks and, and just keep on doing what they've been doing. I, I had two knocks on the show. I thought the landing pod thing was too much pod racery from episode one, star Wars. Like it's going to be the instant video game spin out, which it's changed. And I thought the planet of the falling girders, I could see where they spent all their money on budget here. I had a little flashback to the gatherers planet there with, um, with Brawl and, 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 and the original, well, anyway, um, there were a couple of times things seemed a little bit action adventure indulgent, but 
that was kind of my 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 major marks on the show. But no, I just think if they just keep following up on all these um, these these impulses that they were showing in the first season, they'll be good. And here's my challenge. I'll see your resolution of the non-mention of Michael by Spock. And in the middle of all this blowing up, settling down, whatever we're left with is an explanation. Have Spock mentioned Cybok. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I don't talk about, you know, or have someone say, well, I don't talk about him either. My brother either. I mean, just something that way, you know. Just on the order of Picard saying, yes, I met him at his son's wedding, even if it's that's all it is. But wouldn't it be lovely to have somewhere in all that, Michigan, just have have that thrown in there just so it's like, ha button on it. See? <laughs> I like that. Made you laugh, John. Made you laugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Take that. And I mean, I'm just going in Alex, Alex's stated spirit of the year. We're going to hit this head on. Well, really hit it head on. Run into a brick wall with it. Sure. And, and watch the wall move. I, I want this show to not feel like they have to have the action set piece of the week. Mm-hmm. And and to your point, Larry, yeah, the the uh, the little uh, escape pod, little shuttle pod things they were using to get down to the asteroid. It, it was a little much. And I have to say that I, I liked this episode more watching it a second time. Because I knew that that was going to be a five minute chunk in the middle of it that I, I just sort of could tune out. Um, although I think we were all glad to see Connolly die. That's you <laughs> yeah. know, it's just a given. Um, but but the red like shirt meme was nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But scenes like that, and 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 even the shot um, inside the turbo lift uh, uh, mechanism. It was like we're we're inside a pachinko machine now. Yeah. Let's see a know. giant roller coaster in there. Where yeah, this is a poor use of space uh, uh, inside the ship Discovery. The, you know, uh, so things like that. It has felt were kind of pointless just stylistically pointless you you didn't have to have those things happen um but i gotta say really really quickly because you mentioned you're glad that conley died uh the one regret that i have is that his name wasn't connor i'd be okay if you know the first episode of every season yeah we just made a new guy named connor and then he dies (laughs) i'd be fine with that sorry to interrupt you though to get connor trenier back in a guest role somehow That'd be nice. This guy named Connor. Knock him off. Knock Killed him off. By a guy named first Connor. Yeah. 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 He could play voice and that could settle that question. Oh yeah. That'd be oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. People yeah. are clamoring for that. Um, oh, Connor what, voice though. Yeah. What I also don't want to see, like I, I love that we have Pike because again, Pike is a clean slate and we're back to sort of, uh, some some heroics and some leadership that we can believe in uh, instead of this dark morass that we were in for the first season. There's a lot of good stuff that came out of that first season. Um, and I'm kind of glad that we had that journey to get through. Um, but now we've wiped the slate, slate clean. We've got some new stories we can tell, and we've got a kick-ass captain to help tell those stories. Obviously, I don't want us to get away from the idea that Michael Burnham is a central character here, but I'd like to see her lighten up and uh, and kind of find herself a bit because it, it, everything still comes back to this difficult childhood that she had. I get that. She had a difficult childhood. Um, and uh, eight-year-old Spock uh, was not cool <laughs> to her. Uh, so there, there's all this stuff going on there. But at the same time, not everything in Star Trek needs to be about the Sarek family. 
Not everything in Star Trek needs to be about this small group of characters that we got introduced to 50 years ago. I like that they exist. I like that they're there. I like that there are moments when it's appropriate to sort of bring them back. But I want this crew to go off and do its own thing. And, and we have the luxury of doing that with Pike to be our thread back to the original because there's nothing else about Pike. <laughs> so it, it, they can tell whatever stories they want. Uh, all we know is that he will be, um, unfortunately, burned terribly in an accident in a few years. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that's in a few years. There's plenty of time yeah. to forget about that. Plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Anson Mountain did have an opening title credit, which I was curious. I first blush, I thought he'd had three or four episodes, but apparently he's the whole season. And, and Spock, however many episodes he has in the run of it all. But um, yeah, yeah, it needs to be the Discovery, the Discovery folks. Can I make one other real quick, lovely shout out here for the graphics porn? That was <laughs> at times for the show. And it, and it's, it is kind of sad. It's, it's, it's almost like being a paternal feeling when I'm so proud of my fandom now where next gen coming on and you used to get your forehead VCR and, and before anybody knew to do this and frame grab the acutograms to get the in jokes and things out, you know, you had to get a forehead VCR on fast speed to be able to have, be them, make them readable. And now I'm going, Oh, I'm going to go back and watch all the, the Pike, personnel record right at some point and within two hours people are already fr- you know friend clipping up a storm and oh look the akuda award is in here and you know finding all the grass so shout out to the staff for maintaining maintaining that and apparently uh pike won the carrington award which apparently either used to be multidisciplinary like the nobel and still is and bashir was only referring to the medical carrington or maybe it it coalesced into medical carrington only and Either that or Pike's got an awful lot of talents in his back pocket there. He's got, he's got a doctor's degree, um, you know, hanging around in there and won the Carrington Award at some point in the past. Cool. That was it. But I wanted to give a shout out for the awesome graphics work. Very nice. Show. All right. Well, guys, I, I, Ken, I want your answer to this question that you posed uh, as well. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I think we, uh, you know, we, we got maybe a minute here that we can run over. We got a little bit of a late start. So I'm curious, what do you want to see more of or less of? Uh, I just wanted to stay light. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, not, not jokey, ha ha. It doesn't have to be, you know, the Orville or even lighter than that, but I appreciated the amount of levity. I appreciated the amount that I was allowed to enjoy this episode rather than having to, you know, everybody didn't have a look of consternation in every single shot. And I really like that. And also, um, if, if, if Pike can stay a captain that I can follow the whole season, that would be awesome. I don't expect Pike to be around more than one season, um, I don't know who the captain is that they're going to pick up on Vulcan. I have a guess, but I don't know who the captain is they're going to pick up on Vulcan. But um, at least for this season, and if not, you know, from from now on, I I want I want Starfleet to be Starfleet, and I want my captain to be my captain, and I don't want to have to you know constantly be watching for you know I don't want Michael Burnham to have to remind Starfleet what Starfleet is at the end of it. I want Starfleet to be Starfleet this season. And I want I want the captain to be somebody that I feel good uh, following the whole season, and I'd like to be surprised. And so far, I have been, and I look forward to I look forward to that continuing. Nice to said. Well, hey, Larry, thanks for joining us tonight to kick off season two of Discovery. Thanks to all of our track pals who are there in the chat room and watching us live tonight. 
Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live. Thank you so much to Earl Green for joining us tonight to help make everything run. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, and Dr. Trek's own show, The Trek Files. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.